The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles with me and let's open them up. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we're actually going to begin this morning. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've been, we've been discussing for some time now uh, our roles as witnesses for Christ. And I've been talking, I've been sharing some thoughts with you for the past couple of sessions on the attributes of an effective witness. What makes one, one person a, a more effective witness than another? We've all been given the same grace. We've all been given the same amount of grace, the same measure of grace. But some of us, some Christians grow and mature more than others and thereby more effectively utilize the graces God has given us. So in a way, some of us will be, will be more proficient at certain areas of the Christian life. And in the areas of witness, this is certainly evident in Scripture that some are more effective than others as witnesses for Christ. So we've been discussing the attributes of an effective witness. And I shared some thoughts with you. I shared the first week uh, the attribute of avail- availability, being prepared to go, being available to God for, for his use, and, and not, not, not uh, distancing ourselves from, from the church or distancing ourselves from the work of God, but being available being ready and, and available on hand to, to serve the Lord. Then secondly, we talked about the attribute of attitude. And attitude is everything. Uh, you get a person with a good attitude. Uh, 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 if, you, if you associate yourself with someone with a good attitude, chances are you'll develop a good attitude as well. But if you hang around with people or if you associate yourself with people with poor attitudes, then your attitude will change also. But by... Attitude, I was talking about being determined to obey the Lord. And we talked about Daniel. We talked about how Daniel purposed in his heart. He determined in his heart that he was not going to disobey the Lord. And that's what it takes. What it, what it takes to obey is determination to obey. Just, just deciding I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm, I'm not going to disobey God. And that's an attitude. And it's an attitude that, that we find in mature Christians. And thirdly, we talked about the, the attribute of appreciation. And the appreciation we have to the Lord for what he has done for us obligates us and obliges us, if you will, to serve one another. We're, we're obliged to serve each other. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's an unappreciative person who, who doesn't, doesn't express gratitude for what's been done for him. You know, my, my parents raised me to, to, to be an appreciative person, to appreciate what we have. I'm so tired of hearing people complain about what they don't have. Just stop and take a few minutes, and we're going to talk about this this morning, but stop and take a few minutes to be thankful for what you do have. Because there are a lot of people in this world that don't have nearly, n- near any of the things that we have here in America. Even our most impoverished people in America live better than than, than many people around this world. So we need to learn to be appreciative. And appreciating God for his grace obligates us and obliges us to serve him by, by, ser- by serving others and going forth with the gospel. And then we talked about the attribute of accountability. Accountability, accepting responsibilities. 
uh, making yourself accountable to one another. Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have this attitude, we go back to attitude, but we shouldn't have this attitude that no man can t- nobody can tell me what to do. That's, that's a poor attitude. Uh, when we enjoin ourselves to the church, when we, when we became members of the church, maybe, maybe that's something we need to make more clear to people who are going to become members of our church. When you, when you enter into membership in our church, you, you obligate yourself to a lifestyle and, and you make yourself accountable to everyone in the church. If you can't live with that, then don't become a member of the church because that's what goes along with it. Uh, being accountable. You know, when I was in the military, I was accountable. I couldn't have a, 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 an officer come to me and say, hey, go do this. And I couldn't stand there and say, well, you, you can't tell me what to do. It's just because I joined the Air Force. You can't tell me how I got to live. You can't tell me. I wouldn't have flown at all. And, and, you know, we're accountable. We're accountable to the Lord. We, we talked about that, that, that God observes our, our conduct. We talked about our fellow members observe our conduct. We even talked about those on our workplace, those we associate with on a daily business. Uh, observe our conduct and we're accountable to 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 all of these people for our conduct how we behave and how we conduct ourselves so we and and we talked about that's that's an attribute of a mature believer and accountability makes you makes you available gives you the right attitude gives you an appreciation and all these other things to be an effective witness but then we talked about number five amiability Amiability and amiability is, is, is showing forth kindness. And that's what we talked about, living in kindness. The, you know, Scripture says, he that hath friends, Solomon stated in Proverbs, a man that hath friends must show himself what? Friendly. Thank you, Gloria. Yes. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. You know why a lot of people don't have friends? Because they're mean as the devil himself. Just some kindness. Uh, I, I tell you, that, that's one of the most lacking things in our society today is, is genuine kindness and, and, and love. It's missing. And, and that's a, an attribute of, of, a, of a Christian who, who is mature and who's an effective witness, that, that kindness. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't look down his nose at sinners. He went to them and he, 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 he tried to change them and he, he spoke to them and he, he, he showed kindness to them. And these are the things we need. Now, today, I'd like to take a look at two more attributes. We're going we're gonna to back off of letter A for a while. And today, first, we're going to talk about contentment, the attribute of contentment. And, and by that, I mean being satisfied with God's provision. Contentment. Uh, I asked you to turn to 1 Timothy, look at chapter 6, and, and let's look at verse number 6. We read here, but godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Now, this attitude of contentment goes against the principles of our world today. Uh, if, if, if our world... Our society as a, as, as a whole projects anything. It is not contentment. It's more and more and you got to get more and you need more. You, you can't be happy without more. It really gets me, you know, at this time of the year, you get the, you get the Lexus commercials with the big bow on the car. Huh? 
Yeah, and you, you, got, you got the, the guy who's, who's showing his love to his wife by buying her a, a diamond ring that would be a down payment on a, on a house. And, and we see the world attempting to, to cause us to develop the mentality that we have to have more. That we don't have enough. Uh, a three-bedroom house isn't enough. We need a five-bedroom ranch house on 25 acres of land. So we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do to get it. Uh, our car isn't good enough. We need to have the latest, best model. Uh, and, and, and I tell you, I don't, I don't get this one at all. Cell phones. I mean, good grief. They got a new cell phone coming out, what, every 30 days? And, and now they even got commercials of how you can try to get rid of your old cell phone and get to the newer one. I mean, whatever happened to just being happy and content with where we are, what we have, and what we're doing? I mean, that's, that's something I just don't... We live in a generation today of entitlement. And what do I mean by that? In other words, I mean, if one man has something, then I deserve it too. And if I can't provide it for myself, then, then you should have to provide it for me. And this is the world we live in today. I mean, our own, our own president wanted to, he, he wanted to have the share of the wealth program where the, be taken away from the wealthy and distributed to the poor. You know, there, is a, there, is a, there was a system such as that in the world. It was called communism. And by the way, in, in, in that system, the only people that really live well are the ones up at the top. The wealth doesn't get distributed. It, it, it disappears and shows up in their pockets. And the rest of the world lives impoverished. So we, but we live in a, we live in a society of entitlement. Well, folks, let me tell you, that is not, that is not God's philosophies. This, this entitlement attitude today is the social engine that's driving our world. But we as God's children understand that it is the Lord that provides. It is the Lord that blesses. It is He that gives to one man while withholding from another. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15, we read, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Don't you think that God knows and understands what you need today? And what you are able to, to handle today? You know, one of the reasons I think the Lord will never make me a wealthy man is because I think he knows I couldn't handle it. I'm not the greatest financial manager in the world. Okay, so confession is good for the soul, so I'll confess. I'm not the greatest financial manager in the world. And I like toys just like everybody else. And, and, and the Lord knows that if he gave me a lot of money, I, it would be a distraction. It would cause me to, 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 to make decisions I shouldn't make. And, and so I, I'm convinced of that. I'm, I'm convinced that the Lord, the, now, I'm not saying I'm a poor man because the Lord, the Lord provides for me wonderfully. And he does for you too, by the way. But God knows what we need and he knows what we don't need. I mean, sometimes there are things that's just not good for us to, 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 to have certain things. We want them. We see them on television. You know, that's why advertising is such big money. 
because these people know how to get into your psyche. They know how to they know how to whet your appetite. And we see these things and we think we need them and we start trying to get them. And God says, no, you don't need that. But we 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 manipulate and we we connive and we do whatever we have to do to get what we want. And what we want many times and and entangles us and entraps us. So God knows what things I need in order to effectively serve him. And God will provide those things I need. And he will withhold those things I do not. We need to just learn to trust in God's providence over us and to be content with what we have been given. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the writer states, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, sometimes I, I sit around and I feel sorry for myself sometimes. You ever do that? You ever sit around and feel sorry for yourself? Throw a little pity party? Only one person comes to a pity party. You, that's it. No one else ever comes to your pity party. But you have your pity party. And I've been there. I've, I've, especially over the last couple of years with the way things were in my life. Sometimes I sit there and I, I just feel so sorry for myself. But I'd be sitting in my backyard on a Saturday maybe. And I'd see my two grandsons playing. I'd look over at my wife and my daughters and my son and my son-in-law, and I suddenly realized, you know what? I got nothing to feel sorry for, nothing whatsoever. I'm, I'm, I'm the wealthiest man in the world because I got the love of my family, and I've got the love of my father. Maybe I don't drive a Lexus. I've ridden in one, <laughs> most uncomfortable back seat I've ever ridden in. Uh, I don't have the latest cell phone. But then again, sometimes I'm very thankful for that because I can actually get away and be left alone. I don't have all the all the amenities of life. I don't have all these things that so many people spend their every waking hour to have. But, you know, I have I have I have the love of God. I have a home in heaven. I have a family. By by far, I am I am the richest man I know. And that's the way we need to be. We need to learn to appreciate what God has given us. Let your conversation be without covetousness. You know, I don't covet anything anybody has in this room. I honestly don't. You, have, you, you, you own your own home. Uh, that's wonderful. I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful for you for that. You have a nice car. That's wonderful. But, you know, we shouldn't go around being jealous and envious and covetous. He says, let your conversation be without covetous. And be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just be content and happy knowing, just knowing that God will never forsake us. No matter how bad it gets, we are safe in the hands of God. And that's what we need to remember. By the way, remember, God never promised to make you prosperous. He never promised to give you a, a big home. He never promised to give you wealth and all these things. He promised To provide your needs. And that's what he does. Having food and raiment. Let us be content. Oh yes. I I, I said we need to trust in God's providence. For it is he. God that hath made us. And it is he. God that hath saved us. It is he that hath called us. And it is he that hath equipped us. To fulfill that calling. So. If he has done all these things. And he has. Doesn't it seem to make sense. That he will give us what we need. To be successful in what he's called us to do. 
Now, we must be careful here not to misread the signs of, of a man's prosperity. Uh, this was the case in, Thessalon- in, in Thessalonica. This was the case in, in Timothy where uh, it was stated that some believe that a man's prosperity epitomizes his godliness. Uh, and isn't this exactly the message coming from the, gospel, the prosperity gospel preachers today? Huh? Isn't that their message? That your, your salvation is seen in your prosperity? God wants every man to be rich. That's not true. And, and, and Paul stated very clearly, godliness with contentment is great game. God never gives a man riches to benefit only himself. God gives a man riches to bless those around him, to give to those who have needs, to support the work of the local church, to be a blessing to others, and thereby glorifying the name of God. So we can almost assuredly this morning infer that contentment is an attribute of an effective witness for Christ, of a, of a mature believer who, who effectively witnesses for the Lord. Contentment is definitely an attribute. And we can do this because without contentment, without contentment, our life would be governed by what? Anybody think of an idea? Selfishness. Without contentment, our life is governed by selfishness. And selfishness drives us away from, from serving the Lord rather than to serving the Lord. Selfishness causes us to wake up on Sunday morning and say, ah, I'm too tired today to go to church. I'll just stay in bed. Selfishness causes us to, as the offering plate passes by, to say, well, you know, I really want that new fishing rod, so uh, I'll, I'll double up on my tithe next time. No, you won't. But anyway. Selfishness causes us to, to, to say, well, it's a little too rainy tonight. It's a little too cold tonight to go out there and, 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 and talk to someone about Jesus. So I'll just stay home. You see, selfishness drives you away from being a witness for Christ, not to it. Contentment draws you to becoming a witness for Christ. A selfish man will never care about another person's soul. He will never sacrifice his own comfort or prosperity for the sake of the gospel. He will never give up anything that he might glorify God. Now ask yourself this, this question this morning. What do you need to be happy? It's Christmas time. What's on your Christmas wish list? I, I honestly don't have one. My kids always tell them, Daddy, what do you want for Christmas? I tell them, you know what I want? And I, and I, I do. You can go ask any of my adult children. They say, Daddy, what do you want for Christmas? I say, I want you to serve the Lord. That's what I want. I want you to live your life to glorify God. You want to give me a Christmas gift? That's what you can do for me. You want to give me something for Christmas? Then, then, then live your life to glorify the Lord. Live your life in service to God. That, that's the greatest gift anyone can give to me. Because I have all that I need. I have all that I need because God supplies all that I need. And I'm content and happy with whatever God supplies. So just, let's just learn to be content. Let me say this. When you come to the place where God is all you have, it is then that you learn that God is all you need. Because if you don't have God, it doesn't matter what you have. You have nothing. But when you have God, you don't need anything else. So let's remember that. Contentment. Contentment is is satisfied with God's provision. And then another attribute today that I want to discuss is is this one of commitment. Commitment. And by commitment, I'm talking about undying 
loyalty. I'd like you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Mark chapter 8. Let's all turn together. Mark chapter 8. Now, these two words, by the way, these two attributes are probably the most difficult for most Christians to, to, to develop, to grow in. Contentment and commitment. These, these are just so hard. If someone, came, if someone would come to me and say, what do you think is, the most, is most lacking in our, in our Christian society today? I would say commitment. I think commitment is, is, is lacking more than anything else. In all my years in the ministry and in service, service in the church, getting people to commit to, to, to doing something is the most difficult uh, task I've ever encountered. Let's look at Mark chapter 8. And let's go to verse number 34. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, it would amaze you what men will, will exchange. It really would. You'd think common sense would say nobody would exchange their soul for pleasure or their soul for wealth or their soul for happiness. But people do it all the time. They'd rather have that than they, they value that more than God. Verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But notice the, the words of our Savior in verse 34 where he states, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, what is he talking about when he says deny himself? Well, I believe he's talking about when a man does, denies himself of ungodly practices. I think as believers, we need to deny ourselves involvement in certain things that just, that just aren't right. Uh, means to deny himself of worldly lusts. You know, the world, the world is, is alluring. It's, it's, it is attractive. I know, I, I sit there too, and I, I see some of, the, some of the things that flash across the screen, and they're tempting and they're, they're alluring, and they, they look like fun, and they seem like, they seem like it, it, would be, it would be enjoyable. But we need to deny ourselves of things that dishonor our Lord, that, that will bring shame to his name, and that, and that will keep us, that will distract us and keep us from serving him. Uh, denying himself of unwise companionships. Oh, I see this. This is a big problem, especially amongst our younger generation, our teenagers and our our college and career age young people. You know, they one thing about man, God created us with a desire for what? Companionship. We desire companionship, right? I mean, unless you're a, unless you're a, a hermit and you, you enjoy being completely alone and don't like to associate with people, but most people desire companionship. And, and we have to be careful. We need to deny ourselves of the wrong types of companionship. And that's such a burden to me for these young people because they do desire that companionship. And they, they do go out there and they do find people. And many times the people they find to hang out with and, 
and, and, and, and get involved with are the wrong kind of people. And it, it draws them away from God and distracts them. Um, denying ourselves of, of self-righteousness and pride. Having, having humility and being humble in our lives. Realizing, as, as Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Are you successful today in your career field? Then you should be glorifying God and thanking God for that. Because it is God that makes you what you are, not yourself. Every self-made man, listen to me very carefully. Every self-made man that's ever lived is burning in hell. Do you hear what I said? Many of you may not agree with that, but I I think so. Because anybody who who has the self-righteousness enough to deny God for for the, the good in his life is certainly not a believer. For how can those of us who know and understand who and what God is deny him the glory that goes along with every aspect of our lives. If our lives be right, that is. <laughs> Don't blame God for your sin, but, but, but give him credit for all the success in your life and all the, all the blessing. Taking up our cross, as, as is stated in Mark, is intended to imply that we must, with patience and with strength, receive and bear the persecutions and trials that accompany our Christian life. Remember, Paul stated in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, persecution goes along with, with being a, a child of God. It's part, it's part of the deal. It's, it's, if you will, it's a sign of our, of our membership. The world hated Jesus and the world will hate us. If we're the kind of Christians, if we're living our life to the glory and honor of God, the world will hate us. And we will suffer persecution for what we believe and what we, what we stand for. Therefore, keeping with the context of the scriptures, I believe that the Lord is telling us here, but when he says, take up our cross and follow him, I believe he's telling us that we must be willing to pay the cost to be his disciples. Willing to pay the cost. This interpretation agrees with the statement made by Jesus in in, in verse 35, where he stated, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospel is the same, shall save it. So when Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him, he is implying that in order to be his disciple, we must be willing to follow him. To put him first at any cost. First in our marriages, husbands and wives. Putting the Lord first in, in all things. Committing, committing to our marriage. You know, I actually, I actually read this several years ago. I, I came across this thing where some group in the Midwest, I believe it was, was, was trying to pass a petition to make marriage licenses renewable. In other words, every five years you had to go and renew your marriage license. And if you chose not to go and renew your marriage license, then you just weren't married anymore. Easy, easy commitment. Huh? Of course, that didn't make it because think of all, think of all the abandoned children there would be. Think of all the property disputes there would be. I mean, you can't, you, it's utter chaos. We need to be committed 
to, to one another as husband and wife. You know, my wife and I, we've been married, praise the Lord, now 33 years. And not one time, not one time did divorce ever come into a conversation. Murder, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but never divorce. No, we've never even thought of murder. At least I've never thought of murdering her. I sure hope she's never thought. She's a good shot, by the way. I don't know. I'd, I'd be in trouble if she took a gun after me. We, we just don't do it. We get mad at each other. Sure we do. We, do you say, do you ever argue? Yeah, we argue. And if you say you're married and you don't argue, then you're lying. Or you're not married, one of the two. Um, but there needs to be commitment. That commitment, that undying loyalty, that, 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 that affixing itself to a promise. Now, have you made promises to God in your life? As a believer, think back to when you first got saved. I, I tell you what, when you, when you, that first moment you realize you're saved, that's, that's just, you, you're living the best life you're ever going to live right there. Because everything becomes new to you, right? I remember, I remember that Sunday morning after when I got saved, I walked outside and it, it seemed like I was seeing the world for the first time. The sky never looked so blue. The grass never looked so green. The birds sang so beautifully. Everything just seemed perfect. And what do we do in those times? Well, we start, we start doing what? We start making promises to God, don't we? I made a promise to God. And I'm not afraid to share it with you. I made a promise to God. The Sunday morning after I got saved, I went back to church. And I, walked, I, I, I made a commitment to God that Sunday. I promised God. I said, Lord, if you'll, if you'll help me, I will spend the rest of my life telling people about you. I made that promise to God. That was a commitment I made. I made that back in 1981. And I can, I can honestly stand here and say I haven't, I haven't forsaken that promise. You know, we need, we, need to, we need to make some promises to God. Maybe, maybe make some promises about raising your children. Promise God that you'll, 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 you'll raise your children in such an, uh, an atmosphere and environment that, that, they, that they will never be subjected to, to, to things that could harm them in the way of spiritual truth. I mean, just make a commitment to, to seeing it through. To, to, you know, when, when, when Janet and Corey, when they had Corey Jr., I, I told both of them, I said, you know, I love you and I respect your rights as parents that, Raise your kids, but you better know right now I'm going to stick my nose in everything involving his life because I'm going to make sure that boy knows the Lord. Now, whether he gets saved or not, that's, that's between the Lord and him, but I'm going to make sure that he has the opportunity. I'm going to make sure he knows the Lord. And, and we need to commit. Let me ask you, how, how willing today are you to follow Jesus? You know, it's easy to get people to follow the Lord when things in their life are going right. When everything is, when, every, when, the, when the bank account's full, when they're healthy, when, when things are falling into place, it's easy to get people, it's easy to get people to come to church. It's easy to get them to follow the Lord. But what, what, about, what about when the persecution comes? What about when the difficult times come? Where's your commitment then? I remember a day in this country when a handshake was all it took. And those of you my age or older, you know, you remember it too, don't you? 
A handshake was the same as a written contract. If you shook hands on something, that was it. It was an, it was, it was an agreement. It was, it was a contract. If it went to court and you told the judge, oh, I shook his hand on it, that's it. Settled. It's finished. Well, that's, that's worthless today. You better have it, you better have it in writing. And you better have escape clauses covered. And you better have it notarized. And even then, they'll probably still get out of it. We just need to be people of commitment. Contentment. Being satisfied. And I mean genuinely. Satisfied with your life the way it's going. Such that you rejoice in the Lord every day. And you go forth and you live for him. Not seeking not, not, not envious, covetous, not, not gripingly or grudgingly, but genuinely, sincerely content with what God has given you and where you are and living your life for him and, and seeking to glorify him. Contentment and commitment. I know far too many Christians who, are, who, who, who don't make commitments to God. Because they don't want to be held to them. But that stifles the work of the Lord. It stunts the growth of the church. So we need to be men and women of commitment. We need to make commitments. And we need to honor those commitments. If we don't, folks, we won't be witnesses of Christ. I had some more notes, but I'm, I'm, I don't have time. I'll just hit them real quickly. What are, what are some people, why are some people afraid of commitment today? Well, first, because they're afraid of losing friends. They're afraid of losing friends. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. A lot of people are afraid to... To make commitments to the Lord because they're afraid of losing friends. I, I did. When I, when, I, when I first got saved, I, I, I went and visited a, an old high school friend of mine. We'd been, we'd been best friends for years and years and years. And, and I got saved and I went to his house and, and he invited me in. And I sat there with he and his wife and, and I started witnessing to them and told them, told them of the love of Christ and the grace of God. And he got up and opened the door and he said, get out. And he said, don't ever come back. But, you know, for any, any friend I lost because of my commitment to God, God has given me tenfold better friends. I have friends all over this country, Christian brothers. If I picked up the phone and called them and told them I needed help, they'd come help me. They'd find a way to help me. My old high school friends, all those friends I used to run around with, if I called any of them, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't help me. I couldn't get it. But God, God gives us relationships, and he gives us, he gives us friendships. That are, that are closer than that of a brother. But then there are those who are not willing to follow Jesus because it will mean alienation from their family. Alienation from their family. Well, I'll tell you what, I experienced that too. I, I'd been saved about a week or two, and one night we were sitting in our house, my wife and I, and I said, you know, Mom and Daddy needs to hear the gospel. And I got up and I went over to their house. And I sat there and I started witnessing my parents. And my daddy did the same thing my best friend did. He said, get out of here. 
And it was it was several months before my father would even speak to me again. But uh, sometimes making commitments to God means we get alienated even from our own family. There were times when I had to stand all alone on things. My my parents wouldn't stand with me. My siblings wouldn't stand with me. There have even been times when my children wouldn't stand with me. And I praise the Lord. My wife has always stood with me, and I, I thank God for that. But let me ask you, are you willing to lose your friends? Are you willing to become alienated from your family? Are you willing to even lose your life? Jesus said, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. And I don't mean dying, but I mean losing your aspirations, your goals, your hopes, your, your life, laying your life aside. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What, what, what are you going to profit by, by seeking to live this, this life that, that does not honor God, that does not glorify God? I, I'm, I'm just dismayed at, at the way things are in our society today. So many people living their lives totally oblivious of God and his will and having no concern and no care for the things of God. That's not why, that's not why, why we're here. That's not why God created us. Our life needs to be his. Jesus, take my feet and use them, my hands, my mouth, my eyes. Use them to your glory. Do, do, do what you will with them. That's the kind of people we need to be. So as Christ's disciples, we put Christ first before all things. It's, a matter of fact, the first of all commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 and 3. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nothing in this life is more important than God. No aspect of our life, no part of our life should be before God. Let's learn to develop these attributes of contentment and commitment. All right, folks, uh, I went a minute over. and You can tell I'm terribly sorry. So, you're just- Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronit Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.